0: Section 14 of Bullfinch's The Legends of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulet The Age of Charlemagne by Thomas Bullfinch. Section 14. Zerbino and Isabella zerbino's pain at seeing the tartar prince go off with the sword surpassed the anguish of his wound but now the loss of blood so reduced his strength that he could not move from where he fell isabella not knowing whither to resort for help could only bemoan him and chide her cruel fate zerbino said if i could but leave thee my best beloved in some secure abode it would not distress me to die but to abandon thee so without protection is sad indeed she replied think not to leave me dearest our souls shall not be parted this sword will give me the means to follow thee Zerbino's last words implored her to banish such a thought but live and be true to his memory isabella promised with many tears to be faithful to him so long as life should last When he ceased to breathe, Isabella's cries resounded through the forest, and reached the ears of a reverend hermit, who hastened to the spot. He soothed and calmed her, urging those consolations which the word of God supplies, and at last brought her to wish for nothing else but to devote herself for the rest of life wholly to religion. As she could not bear the thoughts of leaving her dead lord abandoned, the body was, by the good hermit's aid, placed upon the horse, and taken to the nearest inhabited place, where a chest was made for it, suitable to be carried with them on their way. The hermit's plan was to escort his charge to a monastery, not many days' journey distant, where Isabella resolved to spend the remainder of her days. Thus they travelled day after day, choosing the most retired ways, for the country was full of armed men. One day a cavalier met them, and barred their way, It was no other than Rodomont, king of Algiers, who had just left the camp of Agramont, full of indignation at the treatment he had received from Doralise. At sight of the lovely lady and her reverend attendant, with their horse laden with a burden draped with black, he asked the meaning of their journey. Isabella told him her affliction, and her resolution to renounce the world and devote herself to religion, and to the memory of the friend she had lost. Rodomont laughed scornfully at this and told her that her project was absurd that charms like hers were meant to be enjoyed not buried and that he himself would more than make amends for her dead lover the monk who promptly interposed to rebuke this impious talk was commanded to hold his peace and still persisting was seized by the knight and hurled over the edge of the cliff where he fell into the sea and was drowned Rhodamont, when he had got rid of the hermit again applied to the sad lady heartless with affright and in the language used by lovers said she was his very heart his life his light having laid aside all violence he humbly sued that she would accompany him to his retreat near by it was a ruined chapel from which the monks had been driven by the disorders of the time and which rhodemont had taken possession of isabella who had no choice but to obey followed him meditating as she went what resource she could find to escape out of his power and keep her vow to her dead husband to be faithful to his memory as long as life should last at length she said if my lord you will let me go and fulfil my vow and my intention as i have already declared it i will bestow upon you what will be to you of more value than a hundred women's hearts I know an herb, and I have seen it on our way, which, rightly prepared, affords a juice of such power, that the flesh, if laved with it, becomes impenetrable to sword and fire. This liquor I can make, and will, to-day, if you will accept my offer, and when you have seen its virtues, you will value it more than if all Europe were made your own." Rhodamont, at hearing this readily promised all that was asked so eager was he to learn a secret that would make him as achilles was of yore isabella having collected such herbs as she thought proper and boiled them with certain mysterious signs and words at length declared her labor done and as a test offered to try its virtue on herself she bathed her neck and bosom with the liquor and then called on Rhodamont to smite with all his force and see whether his sword had power to harm the pagan who during the preparations had taken frequent draughts of wine and scarce knew what he did drew his sword at the word and struck across her neck with all his might and the fair head leapt sundered from the snowy neck and breast rude and unfeeling as he was the pagan knight lamented bitterly this sad result to honour her memory he resolved to do a work as unparalleled as her devotion From all parts round he caused laborers to be brought, and had a tower built to enclose the chapel, within which the remains of Zerbino and Isabella were entombed. Across the stream which flowed nearby he built a bridge, scarce two yards wide, and added neither parapet nor rail. On the top of the tower a sentry was placed, who, when any traveler approached the bridge, gave notice to his master." Rodomont thereupon sallied out and defied the approaching knight to fight him upon the bridge where any chance step a little aside would plunge the rider headlong in the stream this bridge he vowed to keep until a thousand suits of armour should be won from conquered knights wherewith to build a trophy to his victim and her lord within ten days the bridge was built and the tower was in progress in a short time, many knights, either seeking the shortest route, or tempted by a desire of adventure, had made the attempt to pass the bridge. All, without exception, had lost either arms or life, or both, some falling before Rodemont's lance, others precipitated into the river. One day, as Rodemont stood urging his workmen, it chanced that Orlando, in his furious mood, came thither, and approached the bridge. Rodemont halloed to him, Halt, cur! Presume not to set foot upon that bridge. It was not made for such as you. Orlando took no notice, but pressed on. Just then a gentle damsel rode up. It was Flordelise who was seeking her floor's mart. She saw Orlando and, in spite of his strange appearance, recognized him. Rodomont, not used to having his commands disobeyed, laid hands on the madman and would have thrown him into the river but to his astonishment found himself in the grip of one not so easily disposed of how can a fool have such strength he growled through his teeth fleur de Lis stopped to see the issue where each of these puissant warriors strove to throw the other from the bridge orlando at last had strength enough to lift his foe with all his armor and fling him over the side but had not wit to clear himself from him, so both fell together. High flashed the wave as they together smote its surface. Here Orlando had the advantage. He was naked and could swim like a fish. He soon reached the shore and, careless of praise or blame, stopped not to see what came of the adventure. Rodemont, entangled with his armor, escaped with difficulty to the bank. Meantime, Florida passed passed the bridge unchallenged. After long wandering without success, she returned to Paris and there found the object of her search. For Florismart, after the fall of Albraca, had repaired thither. The joy of meeting was clouded to Florismart by the news which Floridas brought of Orlando's wretched plight. The last she had seen of him was when he fell with Rodomont into the stream. Florismart, who loved Orlando like a brother, resolved to set out immediately, under the guidance of the lady, to find him, and bring him where he might receive the treatment suited to his case. A few days brought them to the place where they found the Tartar king still, guarding the bridge. The usual challenge and defiance was made, and the knights rode to encounter one another on the bridge. At the first encounter both horses were overthrown, and, having no space to regain their footing, fell with their riders into the water. Rodemont, who knew the soundings of the stream, soon recovered the land. But Florismart was carried downward by the current, and landed at last on a bank of mud where his horse could hardly find footing. Flor Delise, who watched the battle from the bridge, seeing her lover in this piteous case, exclaimed aloud, "'Ah, Rodemont!' For love of her whom dead you honor, have pity on me, who love this knight, and slay him not. Let it suffice he yields his armor to the pile, and none more glorious will it bear than his. Her prayer, so well directed, touched the pagan's heart, though hard to move, and he lent his aid to help the knight to land. He kept him a prisoner, however, and added his armor to the pile. Fleur de with a heavy heart, went her way. We now must return to Rogero, who, when we parted with him, was engaged in an adventure which arrested his progress to the monastery whither he was bound with the intention of receiving baptism, and thus qualifying himself to demand Bradamante as his bride. On his way he met Magicardo, and the quarrel was revived respecting the right to wear the badge of Hector. After a warm discussion, both parties agreed to submit the question to King Agramont, and for that purpose took their way to the Saracen camp. Here they met Gradasso, who had his controversy also with Madricardo. This warrior claimed the sword of Orlando, denying the right of Madricardo to possess it in virtue of his having found it abandoned by its owner. King Agramont strove in vain to reconcile these quarrels and was forced at last to consent that the points in dispute should be settled by one combat in which Madricardo should meet one of the other champions to whom should be committed the cause of both. Rogero was chosen by lot to maintain Gradasso's cause and his own. Great preparations were made for this signal contest. On the day appointed it was fought in the presence of Agramont and of the whole army. Rogero won it. And Madricardo, the conqueror of hector's arms, the challenger of Orlando, and the slayer of Zerbino, lost his life. Gradasso received Durandana as his prize, which lost half its value in his eyes, since it was won by another's prowess, not his own. Rogero, though victorious, was severely wounded and lay helpless many weeks in the camp of Agramont while Bradamante, ignorant of the cause of his delay, expected him at Maltaban. Thither he had promised to repair in fifteen days, or twenty at furthest, hoping to have obtained by that time an honorable discharge from his obligations to the Saracen commander. The twenty days were passed, and a month more, and still Rogero came not, nor did any tidings reach Bradamante accounting his absence. At the end of that time, a wandering knight brought news of the famous combat and of Rogero's wound. He added, what alarmed Bradamante still more, that Marfisa, a female warrior, young and fair, was in attendance on the wounded knight. He added that the whole army expected that, as soon as Rogero's wounds were healed, the pair would be united in marriage bradamante distressed by this news though she believed it but in part resolved to go immediately and see for herself she mounted rabican the horse of Astolfo, which he had committed to her care and took with her the lance of gold though unaware of its wonderful powers thus accoutred she left the castle and took the road towards paris and the camp of the saracens Marfisa, whose devotion to rogero in his illness had so excited the jealousy of bradamante was the twin sister of rogero she with him had been taken in charge when an infant by atlantes the magician but while yet a child she had been stolen away by an arab tribe adopted by their chief she had early learned horsemanship and skill in arms and at this time had come to the camp of agramont with no other view than to see and test for herself the prowess of the warriors of either camp whose fame rang through the world arriving at the very moment of the late encounter the name of rogero and some few facts of his story which she learned were enough to suggest the idea that it was her brother whom she saw victorious in the single combat Inquiry satisfied the two of their near kindred and from that moment Marfisa devoted herself to the care of her new-found and much-loved brother in those moments of seclusion, Rogero informed his sister of what he had learned of their parentage from Old Atlantis. Rogero, their father, a Christian knight, had won the heart of Galiciela, the daughter of the Sultan of Africa, and sister of King Agramont. converted her to the Christian faith, and secretly married her. The Sultan, enraged at his daughter's marriage, drove her husband into exile, and caused her with her infant children, Rogero and Marfisa to be placed in a boat and committed to the winds and waves to perish, from which fate they were saved by Atlantes. On hearing this, Marfisa exclaimed, How can you, brother, leave our parents unavenged so long, and even submit to serve the son of the tyrant who so wronged them? Rogero replied that it was but lately he had learned the full truth, that when he learned it, he was already embarked with Agramont, from whom he had received knighthood, and that he only waited for a suitable opportunity when he might with honor desert his standard, and at the same time return to the faith of his fathers. Marfisa hailed this resolution with joy, and declared her intention to join with him in embracing the Christian faith. We left Bradamante when, mounted on Rabican and armed with Astolfo's lance, she rode forth, determined to learn the cause of Rogero's long absence. One day, as she rode, she met a damsel, of visage and of manners fair, but overcome with grief. It was Fleur de Lise who was seeking far and near a champion capable of liberating and avenging her lord. Fleur de Lys marked the approaching warrior, and, judging from appearances, thought she found the champion she sought. "'Are you Sir Knight?' she said." so daring and so kind as to take up my cause against a fierce and cruel warrior, who has made prisoner of my lord, and forced me thus to be a wanderer and a suppliant?" Then she related the events which had happened at the bridge. Bradamante, to whom noble enterprises were always welcome, readily embraced this, and the rather as in her gloomy forebodings, she felt as if Rogero was forever lost to her. Next day the two arrived at the bridge, the sentry descried them approaching and gave notice to his lord who thereupon donned his armor and went forth to meet them here as usual he called on the advancing warrior to yield his horse and arms and oblation to the tomb bradamante replied asking by what right he called on the innocent to do penance for his crime your life and your armor she added are the fittest offering to her tomb, and I, a woman, the fittest champion to take them. With that she couched her spear, spurred her horse, and ran to the encounter. King Rodemont came on with speed. The trampling sounded on the bridge like thunder. It took but a moment to decide the contest. The golden lance did its office, and the fierce moor, so renowned in tourney, lay extended on the bridge who is the loser now said bradamante but Rodomont, amazed that a woman's hand should have laid him low could not or would not answer silent and sad he raised himself unbound his helm and mail and flung them against the tomb then sullen and on foot left the ground but first gave orders to one of his squires to release all his prisoners they had been sent off to africa besides Floris there were Sansonnet and oliver who had ridden that way in quest of Orlando, and had both in turn been overthrown in the encounter. Bradamante, after her victory, resumed her route, and in due time reached the Christian camp, where she readily learned an explanation of the mystery which had caused her so much anxiety. Rogero and his fair and brave sister, Marfisa, were too illustrious by their station and exploits not to be the frequent topic of discourse even among their adversaries. And all that Bradamante was anxious to know reached her ear almost without inquiry. We now return to Gradasso, who by Rogero's victory had been made possessor of Durandana. There now only remained to him to seek the horse of Rinaldo, and the challenge given and accepted was yet to be fought with that warrior, for it had been interrupted by the arts of Malagigi. Gradasso now sought another meeting with Rinaldo, and met with no reluctance on his part. As the combat was for the possession of Bayard, the knights dismounted and fought on foot. Long time the battle lasted. Rinaldo, knowing well the deadly stroke of Durandana, used all his art to parry or avoid its blow. Grad also struck with might and main, but well nigh all his strokes were spent in air, or if they smote they fell obliquely and did little harm thus had they fought long glancing at one another's eyes and seeing naught else when their attention was arrested perforce by a strange noise they turned and beheld the good bayard attacked by a mysterious bird perhaps it was a bird for such it seemed but when or where such a bird was ever seen i have nowhere read except in turpin and I am inclined to believe that it was not a bird, but a fiend, evoked from underground by Malagigi, and thither sent on purpose to interrupt the fight. Whether a fiend or a fowl, the monster flew right at Bayard, and clapped his wings in his face. Thereat the steed broke loose, and ran madly across the plain, pursued by the bird, till Bayard plunged into the wood, and was lost to sight. Rinaldo and Gradasso, seeing Bayard's escape, agreed to suspend their battle till they could recover the horse, the object of contention. Gradasso mounted his steed and followed the footmarks of Bayard into the forest. Rinaldo, never more vexed in spirit, remained at the spot, Gradasso, having promised to return thither with the horse, if he found him. He did find him, after long search, for he had the good fortune to hear him neigh thus he became possessed of both the objects for which he had led an army from his own country and invaded france he did not forget his promise to bring bayard back to the place where he had left rinaldo but only muttering now i have got him he little knows me who expects me to give him up if rinaldo wants the horse let him seek him in india as i have sought him in france he made the best of his way to arles where his vessels lay and in possession of the two objects of his ambition, the horse and the sword, sailed away to his own country. End of section 14